I am glad to be with you uh, here today. Uh, my name is David. Uh, like Courtney said, if you don't know me, I work with the youth here at the church. Uh, and it's my privilege to open God's word uh, with us this morning. Uh, so uh, let me pray and then we will jump into it. Uh, Lord, we come to you today and we uh, are reminded of your greatness, your glory, your majesty, and our own uh, humility as we come uh, to your word, which is perfect, true, and good. And we ask that now as we read it, as I explain it, uh, Lord, that you would speak to us, you would open our eyes to see all the wondrous things that are here in your word. We ask that, that you would do this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Howard Carter... Uh, was an archaeologist in the uh, turn of the 20th century, and uh, he was uh, famous for some of the finds he found in in Egypt. And uh, he had been working uh, for many, many years uh, trying to to find a tomb that had been undisturbed by grave robbers. You know that most of the tombs in Egypt were kind of uh, grave robbers came, they took most of the things out. So he'd been working, seeing if there was perhaps some tomb that had not been yet discovered. Uh, And so he's working for many years uh, throughout kind of up to the First World War. War happened. He had to put his work on pause. Then after the war, was able to continue. And uh, he was sponsored by a guy named Lord Carnarvon. This guy lived in England. Uh, He was sponsoring uh, the expedition. But after this many years, uh, Lord Carnarvon sent a telegram to Carter. And he said, basically, you know what? You haven't found really anything uh, in the last years. And so if you don't find anything this year, I'm going to have to stop the project. I'm going to have to cut your funding. And so the year was 1922, uh, and basically uh, Howard Carter went and, and tried the best he could to find uh, something, something that he could show for his work. Uh, and he, he actually went to this kind of small area of huts that they had found, there wasn't much there, but they started digging around that area hoping that there would be something. And it was actually by accident that one of their water boys uh, came across a hard rock uh, in the ground, and they realized it wasn't a rock at all, but steps. So they began to uncover these steps, and they went deeper and deeper into the ground. As they went further and further down, uh, eventually these steps uh, led to a door, a door that was still sealed, and, and it bore the, the royal seal of King Tutankhamun. Uh, Howard was excited. Uh, he sent a telegram to Lord Carnarvon, you've got to come to Egypt right away. They waited. He, he got on a boat as soon as he could, uh, got to Egypt. And they both went down to the dig site together for this hopefully historic unveiling. Uh, They went down, uh, Carter went down, he was going to kind of pop a hole in the top of the door. Uh, Carnarvon stood at the top of the stairs waiting to to find out what's inside. He puts a little hole in the top, sticks a candle in to look inside. And after what seemed like minutes, uh, Carnarvon called down to him, can you see anything? And and Carter responded with these famous words. Uh, He said, yes, wonderful things. And inside was wonderful things. One of the most uh, greatest treasures uh, of archaeological finds in this century. Uh, It was full of 5,000 different artifacts, items that had been totally undisturbed. This was a a tomb still found intact. And basically, Carter spent the rest of his life cataloging all of these items. It was an incredible find, an incredible treasure that they had found. And I think our culture, we love stories about treasure. Right, you think about like pirate stories, we love like national treasure, like the movies, all these things where people are going to find some great treasure. But the rest of us, we, we love watching stories like that, but we don't usually participate in them. Right? That's something that somebody else does and we kind of live vicariously like, oh man, I would love to find a treasure like that. So where can we find treasure like that? Well, uh, I think today what we're going to see is in the psalm that we're reading, the psalmist, the writer, he thinks that we can find treasure like that 
in God's word. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, uh, it is the longest psalm uh, in the Bible, longest chapter in the Bible, actually. It's 176 verses long. Uh, It was probably written by King David. We don't know that for sure. That's what we think. Probably King David wrote it. And it's an acrostic uh, psalm. It's broken down into uh, 22 sections, one for each of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and each of the eight verses that start each section starts with that Hebrew letter. And so uh, to read it through takes about uh, 15, 20 minutes if you're going to read aloud. So uh, get ready. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that now. Um, We're just going to look at one verse today. I just want to look at one verse from this psalm. Uh, Matt can preach the other 175. Um, Verse 18 is what I'd like to look at uh, today. Uh, So if you have your Bible, uh, Psalm 119, verse 18 says this. It's a prayer that he prays. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And when you hear the word uh, law there at the end, don't just think uh, Ten Commandments. This was the Torah, uh, all of the the revelation of God that they had at that point, which I think for today we're going to kind of say is all of God's revelation for us, God's word to us, not just the commandments, including those, but everything that God has revealed in his word. And I want to simply take and look at the three assumptions that are behind this prayer. Three assumptions that I think the psalmist has behind this prayer that I think will be helpful uh, for us as we look to find wondrous things in God's word ourselves. Uh, The first assumption is this, that there is treasure in God's word. That there is treasure in God's word. So the psalmist here, he, he asks that God would open his eyes so he can see the treasure, see the wondrous things. So he obviously assumes that there are wondrous things to actually see, right? That's why he asked God to open his eyes. And I know that this is not uh, maybe the majority view in our culture right now, maybe not even within the church, that there are wondrous things. I mean, you may be here and you may not know a lot about Christianity or the Bible and you might hear me say wondrous things. And you, when you think about the Bible, you think back to like Sunday school lessons you had a long time ago or some uh, preacher on the street who's quoting Bible verses at you and you don't think wondrous things. You probably think the opposite. You probably think uh, the Bible is actually kind of, it's kind of boring. It seems kind of irrelevant to modern culture. Uh, it maybe even seems offensive at certain points. I don't know about wondrous That seems a bit odd. Or you may be here even, and you may know a lot about the Bible. Uh, You may have uh, been able to memorize it. You might know a lot of the things that is written in the Bible, and you would say, yep, the Bible is true, but wondrous. Not sure. The Bible is true, but is is it wondrous? Is it wonderful? Is it amazing? Right, Because we can be, even if we're here in the church, we can be somebody uh, kind of like an art scholar who studied the Mona Lisa for years and years. They know all the the brush strokes. They know all the painting techniques. They know where the painting was and where it's ended up. They can tell you all about da Vinci's life. But the Mona Lisa's smile maybe has lost her charm. We can be the same way with the Bible. We can know all about the Bible. We can know all the things. We can know that it's true. But the Bible might not actually seem wondrous to us. When we read it, it might not really affect our hearts. So I want to show you here today that we actually have a lot of good reasons to believe that the Bible is actually wondrous. Uh, There are even those who aren't Christians, uh, don't call themselves believers, but they would say, no, there is actually something wondrous about the Bible. Uh, I came across this quote by Camille Peglia. Uh, She is a professor of arts at the University of Philadelphia, and she's an atheist. Uh, But she says this about the Bible. 
Uh, she says, the Bible is a masterpiece. The Bible is one of the greatest works produced in the world. The people who all they have is the Bible actually are set up for life. Not only do they have a spiritual vision given to them, but artistic fulfillment. They don't even recognize just the pleasure of dealing with this epic poetry and drama. Everything is in the Bible. Now, she doesn't really believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, but even she can see that there is wondrous things, even just literarily in the Bible. There's something wonderful about it. And for those of us who would say the Bible is the word of God, we have even more reason to believe that there's wondrous things in the Bible. Uh, Psalm 119 is all about God's word. The, The whole thing is the psalmist extolling and praising God for the wonders of his word and how great it is. Uh, There's parts where he just talks about how he delights in it. Look at what he says here. I've just chosen out a couple of verses. Uh, He says, In the ways of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. How sweet are your words to my taste? Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Your, Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. So he sees that there's a delight, a joy, a wonder that comes from God's word. And we might ask, why does he think that? Why does he think that? Well, I'm going to turn us again to the song. I'm going to let him speak for himself. The whole thing is filled with all the reasons why God's word is so wondrous. Again, I've just chosen out a few verses uh, for us to see. He, he talks about God's word is wondrous because it's true. He says in verse 51, or 151, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. God's word is wondrous because it gives us life. He says, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. God's word is wondrous, it keeps us from sin. He says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. God's word is wondrous because it gives us hope. He says, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. God's word is wondrous because it helps us endure through afflictions. He says, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. It's wondrous because it gives us guidance. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And ultimately, it is wondrous because it leads to the praise of God. He says, at midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. So the psalmist here, he finds wondrous things in God's word. Wondrous things. So if we're here and we say, I don't think I see the wondrous things, then perhaps we haven't been looking for it. Right? Like, you are not going to find treasure if you aren't searching for it. Right? You you don't go on a treasure hunt unless you think there's treasure to find. If we don't think there are wondrous things in the Bible, we're not going to be looking for them. It reminds me a little bit of uh, one of the series I watched, Planet Earth. Have you guys seen that, that show on Netflix? They go, they explore kind of all the different deserts, seas, oceans, all the animals that are contained within them. It's an amazing show. The cinematography, awesome. Um, but there's one episode of it uh, called Deep Seas. And they go and they look at the very bottom of the ocean uh, where it's kind of like, you know, pitch black. People are like, oh, is there really anything down there? We can't see. It's really hard to explore. And they talk about in it uh, how scientists for many, many years uh, didn't really think there was much down there. 
right? They kind of thought, okay, there's this huge amount of pressure. Uh, we don't know exactly what can live there. It's super dark, so not a lot of light gets in there, not a lot of energy. Can anything grow? We don't really think there's much to see. There might be a few things, but they're probably not that interesting. But what they show in the show is actually there's a whole world that's teeming, a whole ecosystem filled with life that's down there. All these bioluminescent creatures that all like big eyes look weird. It's amazing, these creative things that we, we found down in the ocean. So all the scientists are like, oh, we got to go check this out. There's a whole ocean that is unexplored that we want to see. There's a whole Bible that is unexplored that we need to see. There's treasures that are in here that we haven't looked for. There's treasures hidden within these, these words, and we've left them on our bedside table. We've left them unexplored, but there are treasures here to be found. So th this should excite us, not just to know more about the Bible, but to see the wondrous things, see the amazing things that are contained within it. And if you're here, and, and I would just encourage you, if, if you haven't really read the Bible, you haven't really gotten into it yourself, you know a little bit about it, but you're not regularly reading it, just encourage you, uh, can you start with the Gospel of Mark? It's just the account of Jesus' life. It's, it's, it's the story of what has happened to Jesus. It's really simple to read, uh, and, it, and it's short. And you can go through and just read. And, and hopefully, I, I hope you'll see as you read it, that the Bible's not boring, it's not irrelevant, and that there is actually something wondrous about it. Uh, and if you're here and you still, though, have questions just intellectually about the Bible, can we, can we trust it? Like, how do we know that what, you know, he, they wrote down there is still what we have here? Isn't the Bible say a bunch of offensive things about different things? Uh, I just recommend to you uh, this book. Uh, it's called Questioning the Bible. Questioning the Bible by Jonathan Morrow, 11 Major Challenges to the Bible's Authority. And it goes through just some of these main questions a lot of people have about the Bible and answers them really, really well. So if, if you have those kind of questions or you know somebody who does, uh, you can buy this on Amazon for like 13 bucks or something. Uh, just a really great resource would recommend uh, to you. Uh, so that's the first thing. The first assumption that the psalmist has, he assumes that there are treasures in God's word. Uh, the second assumption he has is that we need God's help to see them. We need God's help to see the treasures. Uh, so he says, uh, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Open, open, your, open my eyes. Right? So this is really interesting to me because uh, the psalmist, as we, we've seen, we've read through, uh, he knew the scriptures really well. He loved them. He knew all about them, but he still thinks that's not enough. It's not just enough for him to know a lot about the Bible. He still wants to pray, God, open my eyes. Open my eyes to behold wondrous things. He thinks he needs God's help to see those things, that he can't actually see them on his own. And that's the picture he kind of paints for himself and for, for us, that, that we are kind of uh, these people that are in this, this beautiful palace. You imagine the most beautiful palace you've ever been in. It's got, you know, gold carpets, the architecture, incredible paintings on the wall, sculptures, all this stuff. We're in this beautiful palace of treasure, but we're blind. We can't see it. We're here. We know that there's treasure around us. We know we're in this beautiful palace, but we're blind to actually be able to see what that is. And so the psalmist comes and he prays, God, open my eyes. Open my eyes that I can see. And not like some of us pray it in the morning when we're still half asleep and we say, God, open my eyes so that I can behold, you know, like because we're still sleeping, right? Like there, there's that prayer of play, but he's saying not that. No, he's saying, God, open my eyes. Let me see what I, what I can't see. I can, I can see it, but I can't see it. Right? I can't actually see it as wonderful. And that's what I think we'll see is, is, is when God opens our eyes, 
It's not just that he helps us to, to understand the Bible more. Uh, he does do that, absolutely. I'm sure there's times maybe where you've been reading through your Bible uh, and you, you've read the passage a bunch of times, but then suddenly you read it again and you're like, oh, I never saw that before. That's great. I, you saw a new connection. You learned something new. Totally true. But when we say open our eyes to behold wondrous things, what the psalmist is saying is not just, just that, but he's saying, help me to see the things I already know as wondrous. Right? Help me to see the things I already know about you as glorious. Like, like help me to feel that. Because right? we can read, uh, in the Bible, we can read about all these glorious doctrines, these things. We can say, oh yeah, uh, you know what? We've been adopted as a child of God into his family. Uh, our sins have been forgiven. We, we don't bear the consequence anymore. We know that we have a heavenly inheritance that's eternal, unperishable, unfading. And then we're like, okay, and go and take the kids for school. Right? And we move on with our life. And kind of the, those things, they haven't really sunk in to our heart. We read them, but we didn't really, like, read them. We, we, didn't, we didn't sense them. We didn't feel them. I, I had this even just uh, uh, for me this week. I was reading through just in my, my Bible reading. I was reading through Ephesians, got to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, which is a wonderful chapter. It's all about how we were dead in our sin, made alive in Christ. By grace, we've been saved through faith. It's not our work. It's a gift of God. These amazing things. I, I've preached sermons on this. I've written papers on this passage. But when I read it this time, I got to the end and I was like, huh, cool, I guess. Right? Like, you got to the end, you've maybe experienced that, where you're kind of like, ah, oh, I don't know if I've, I, I know that there's good things in there, but I didn't really feel them. Like, I, I, I saw it with my eyes, but I didn't feel it with my heart. Right? It got here, but not here. And so, so I prayed. I did, did what the psalmist said. Okay, God, open my eyes that I can see. I know there's wondrous things here. Open my eyes to see them again as wondrous. And by God's grace, he did. But I also just want to clarify some things. When we, when we say God opening our eyes, uh, I want to clarify what we don't mean. We don't mean that there's like a new secret hidden meaning that we're finding. Sometimes maybe you hear people say that, oh, I read this, and then like, oh, I just, I just felt it meant this. There's this new meaning that God revealed to me. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, wh what we're talking about is God opening our eyes to see and savor and love the meaning that's already there. Always in line with what the author, the human author intended to say. So it's not some secret thing. It's not some hidden meaning that we're finding. He's opening our eyes to see more fully what's actually already there. Uh, so there's a couple practical things uh, that this should mean for us. If there are actually treasures in God's word, and we do need God's help to see those treasures, uh, here's a couple practical things this means. Uh, it means that prayer should be the primary tool for Bible study. Prayer should be our primary tool for Bible study. Uh, Charles Spurgeon says it like this. Uh, he says, texts will often refuse to reveal their treasure till you open them with the key of prayer. The commentators are good instructors, but the author himself is far better. Right? It's good that we can have understanding, study Bibles, commentaries, good, helpful things, but the, the point of our Bible reading, the point of us coming to hear sermons and hearing the word of God is not understanding. It's understanding that leads to worship. Right? So when we say, God, open our eyes to behold wondrous things, we're saying, God, help me to worship you. Help me to see those amazing things about you in your word. Lead me to worship you. And so it means that when, when we come to our personal uh, Bible reading, this should be a prayer that we pray every day. Every day when we open our Bible, God, open my eyes to behold wondrous things. Not just I would learn something new, that's great, but learn something new that I would see as wondrous, see as amazing. 
When we come and we hear sermons, are, are we saying, okay, I'm, I'm coming. God, give me ears to hear. Give me eyes that will be open, not just to understand what the preacher is saying, but, but really feel it, sense it, and to see you as glorious. Lead me to worship you. We come now with humility to the Bible. We don't come as the master over it. We come as a student. We come saying, God, I'm about to read this, but without your help, I will see nothing wonderful in it. You must open my eyes. You must change my heart because it's my own sin. It's my own hard-heartedness. That's why we can't see. That's why we're blind. We need God to, to remove the veil, to be able to see and, 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 and actually love what's in his word. Uh, the other thing it should mean for us is that we should be curious uh, to find out what wondrous things God has shown other people. Uh, one of my favorite questions to ask people is, what are you learning in your Bible reading right now? Like, wh what has God taught you lately? And I don't ask that question just because I really want to know, have they been reading their Bible? Are you keeping, like, I actually genuinely want to know, like, is there something that God has shown you? Some wondrous thing that I haven't seen? Is there something that, God, show me, what have, what's God showing you that you're excited about in his word right now? Let me learn from you because I may not have seen it. There might be something wonderful that, that you've seen that I haven't. I see that in my life all the time with my wife. She's, she's reading your Bible. She's like, David, I learned this amazing thing in Exodus in the women's Bible study. Or I was reading Isaiah and there was this, this wonderful thing. She's sharing them with me and I'm encouraged and I'm growing because she's helping me to see those things as wonderful too. And hopefully I can do back a little bit to her as well. But we're learning from each other. That we can actually grow as a, a community of people who God is granting the ability to see the wondrous things in his law. Uh, so that, those are the first two assumptions he has, that there's, there's treasure to see and that we need God's help to see it. Uh, here's the last assumption that the psalmist has in this prayer. And the, the assumption is this, we desperately want to see the treasure. We desperately want to see the treasure. See, th this is a, a prayer that he's giving, a, a plea, a longing of his heart Right? He, he wants to behold these wondrous things. He's not just satisfied to know about them. He's not just satisfied to read them. He's saying, no, I want to see them as wondrous. Uh, is this a prayer that we would pray? Like, do we actually want to behold wondrous things? We want to behold the wondrous things out of the Bible. Some of us maybe honestly know Right? We, we know that there's probably wondrous things in it. We know there's good things. You know, David told me in a sermon, my pastor said, whatever. We know that there's good things in the Bible, but our, our actions, our life, the way we pray, it doesn't show it. It doesn't show that we actually want to see those things. But for some of us, the answer is most definitely yes. Yes, I want to see those things. Right? And praise God for that. Like, I want all of us to be uh, like Moses when we read God's word, where we say, God, show me your glory. Or like, show me the wondrous things. But I know that even as I say, yeah, I want to see those things, I know that there are many of us, myself included, where there are times where we want to behold the wondrous things, but it's still a challenge. It's a challenge to still actually delight in God's word. Right? We're, we're discouraged sometimes. We, we read the Bible and we get to the end and we just feel like, oh, that's it. I, I don't feel like I got much out of it today. Uh, we feel like maybe we don't understand. We feel like we're reading it over and over again. We've prayed, God opened my eyes, but he hasn't answered our prayer. We feel inadequate and maybe just feeling like, what's the point? Like, why do I keep reading my Bible? I don't, I don't see the wondrous things. It's kind of, it's a duty. It's a thing I do. 
So what do we do when, when that's the case? When we, we want to behold wondrous things out of God's law, but we don't seem like we are. Well, I want to just close by giving you five, five things we can do, five applications uh, for us at the end. Things that we can do if we want to behold the wondrous things. Uh, the first thing that we can do uh, is let go of other treasures. Let go of other treasures. Uh, verse 37 of Psalm 119 says this, uh, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. See, our, our, our hearts are often satisfied with other th- things, other treasures, right? And the psalmist says, turn my eyes from those things. That we're looking at worthless, they're not worthless ultimately, right? But they're worthless in comparison to the treasure that we have. Could be anything. Could be, could be Netflix, it could be our, our hobbies, it could be traveling, it could be whatever it is that in that moment when we're like, I'm, I need something, I need some treasure, I need something wondrous in my life, what do we reach for? Do we reach for the remote? Do we reach for our phone? Do we reach for our Bible? Like, what is it that is, is the treasure that we, we love the most? Can we turn from those other things? Uh, I was uh, talking about this with uh, some of the youth uh, that we have in our, our youth group a couple weeks ago. We were talking about this kind of idea that there, there's, you know, God is this great treasure. His word is a great treasure, but there's other things in our life. And so I was asking them, like, what do you guys think? Like, practically, what should we do uh, so that we can kind of turn from those other things and turn to God and his word? Uh, I wasn't honestly expecting much of an answer, but one of the, one of the boys, uh, he said, we should fast. And I was like, I wasn't expecting that. I was like, what, do you, what do you mean? What do you mean, fast? And he was like, well, you know, if, when, we, when we fast, we're giving up something, kind of, kind of training ourselves, teaching ourselves that we don't actually need that thing, that we can be satisfied without it. And we're kind of teaching ourselves. So when we go back to it, we'll realize that it's actually not the most important thing. I was like, yes, that's really good. That's really wise. Uh, and, and I hope you also hear the wisdom of this young man who's saying, you know what, we have an opportunity, an opportunity for, perhaps for a time, set aside some of those other things so that we, we can dig into the treasure that's God's word. Right? Leave the other dig sites, leave them behind, go to the dig site we know has the greatest treasure. So let go of other treasures. Maybe that just means you stop watching Netflix for a week. Maybe it means you postpone the board game with the friends or the cycling ride or whatever it is. And you spend a night and you get on your knees and you pray, God, open, your eye, open my eyes that I can see wondrous things here in your word. So that's number one. Let go of other treasures. Uh, the second thing we can do, surround yourself with people who see wondrous things. Surround yourself with people who see wondrous things. Uh, I, I'm sure you're aware that the fact that the people you hang around influence you most. You see this often with young people, right? If you, you hang around with a bad group of friends, you end up kind of being like them. Hang around with good people often influences you good. You become like the people you hang around. So if you, if you want to see wondrous things in God's law, you should hang about around with people who see wondrous things in God's law. And I don't just mean like godly friends, although you should have those. That would be good that you have friends where you guys are encouraging each other in the faith. But I mean more than that. I mean, I mean great sermons. I mean great books. I mean, I mean people that you know that are like, they're not just teaching you about the Bible. They're teaching you to worship God. They're, they're, they're bringing you to love and worship God. I, I think about it uh, kind of like uh, my relationship with coffee. Uh, 
I don't like coffee, <laughs> to be honest, and I'm sorry if that offends some of you. I, I don't, and I, I just, I, I don't get it, but uh, a lot of people need it for some reason. Uh, but like, if you, if you gave me like a McDonald's coffee, and you gave me like the best brewery in town, I'd be like, they taste the same, they taste bad, right? Like they just, I'm just not interested, I, don't, I can't tell the difference. I can't, like, I can't taste it out, right? Some people are like the connoisseurs and they're like, oh, there's these notes and this and that, and I'm like, I don't know. But uh, I have some friends, some friends who really like coffee. And uh, if I hung out with those friends a lot and I wanted to, I'd be like, okay, teach me about coffee. So I'd be like, okay, this is McDonald's coffee, it's awful, don't drink it. But here's, here's some other coffees, and you know, if they do the French press or the rollover, and they grind the beans, it tastes like this and this. And slowly, if they, they're like, taste this, and then taste this, I can slowly start to develop a taste myself for coffee. And, and not just know this coffee's good, this coffee's bad, but actually start to be able to taste what is good and what is bad. Be able to develop that, that taste myself. And, and that's our goal when we bring other resources and people into our life with the Bible. It's not just that other people feed us and they tell us what the Bible's saying, but hopefully those things are helping us to, to be able to dig for treasure ourselves, to be able to mine for gold in God's word. So, so people that are, are teaching us to, to worship God, but also how to find that in God's word. So for, in my life, I'll just give you a couple examples. Uh, the, the sermons of Charles Spurgeon, old British preacher from the 1800s, amazing. He takes like one verse of scripture and he just, amazing sermon, so good. You can look them up online, they're free. You can go and read them, uh, wonderful. Uh, John Piper, he's got a series of videos online called Look at the Book is the series, and he just basically takes short passages of scripture, and it's like maybe 10 minute little videos, and he just circles and underlines everything, and he shows you how it's all connected, and he shows you the wonders that's in God's word. And for me, that's been really helpful. Uh, another one, there's a book I read uh, just recently uh, that basically takes one line, Lamentations 3.24, the Lord is my portion. It takes that one verse, 250 pages about that one verse, which I didn't know you could do. And he just goes in and he's like, well, what does it mean that the Lord is our portion? Well, it means that he's an all-satisfying portion. It means that he's an immeasurable portion. He's an eternal portion. He's an all-sufficient portion. And, and because he is our portion, we should abandon all other earthly portions. And, and you're like, oh, Wow. This is an amazing verse. I never thought about that. And so not only teaching me to worship God through that, but he's teaching me how I can approach the Bible and find those kind of treasures myself. So surround yourself with people who see wondrous things. Number three. The third thing we can do is pray. Uh, that is the main point of our text. Open my eyes, right? It's a prayer to God, longing that, that he would actually do that in our life, in our heart. And it might mean, yeah, we, we might pray it once, but maybe we need to pray it twice. Or maybe for a season of time where we're coming and we're saying, God, I'm not seeing the wondrous things. But we're coming back, we're praying, God, please open my eyes. What, what is there sin in my life that I need to, to, to repent of in order to see this? What, what is it that you can do to actually help me to see these wondrous things uh, in your word? Uh, this, Psalm 119 is, is full of these kinds of pleas. Pleas for understanding, longings uh, for God to give him life according to his word. Uh, here's just a couple more. Uh, the psalmist says, uh, Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. He says, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. So we can pray with the psalmist those kind of prayers. God, open my eyes. Give me life according to your word. 
Number four, saturate yourself with the word. Saturate yourself with the word. Uh, Psalm 19 uh, verse 7 says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. See, it's only by God's, reading God's word that we are going to come to actually love God's word. It, it is that perfect law that when we read it, it will revive our soul. The, the way that we can actually find and see the treasure again is by reading it. God's word is powerful and it can open our eyes to see the things that we have not yet seen. So, so, so read slow, pray lots, and ask that God, would you help me to see? Would you revive my soul as I read your perfect word? Where else are we going to go if not to God's word? Right? When the disciples come to Jesus, everybody else is turning away from him. And Jesus says, are you going to leave too? What's his answer? Or what's their answer? Peter. He's, they, they say, where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have in the Bible the words of eternal life. Where else will we go? Lastly, fifth thing we can do, uh, remind yourself of the treasures. Remind yourself of the treasures. Uh, verse 72 of Psalm 119 says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. We can read uh, Psalms like 119 to remind ourselves of how great and what treasures are actually here in God's word. Uh, there's one pastor, uh, Matthew Henry, famous for his one uh, volume commentary on the Bible. Uh, he said, if you were to read uh, Psalm 119, if you just read one verse every day, uh, for a whole year. You could read through it twice. If you did that, he said, you will exponentially grow in your love for all of the scripture. Because there's, there's so much in here that, that stirs our heart to remember that there are actually treasures in God's word. So remind ourselves of the treasure, the wondrous things that are there. And, and of course, we, we need to remind ourselves of the one wondrous thing we haven't yet mentioned. Right? The most wonderful thing that we can see in the Bible is Jesus Christ himself. Right? The, the wondrous thing uh, that we see in the Bible is not about what we need to do for God, but what God has already done for us. Right? We, we see the, the wondrous Jesus who comes and becomes a, a human, lives a perfect life and dies the death that we should have died. The, the people who, who don't see him as wonderful, who despise him, who despise his word, those are the people he accepts. Those are the people that he welcomes in. Those are the people that he calls, come and trust in me. Come and see the treasures that I have in my word. So I, I pray that we would be a people that would come to God and say, God, would you give me the desire? Would you help me to pray, Lord, show me the treasures that are here in your word. So the next time somebody comes to us and like Lord Carnarvon, they say, can you see anything? We will respond like Howard Carter. Yes. Wonderful things. Let's pray. Lord, uh, your word is so good and so full of, of such wonders and treasures that we have not yet seen. I pray that you would help us to see them. Lord, we confess that we do not turn uh, to your word uh, when we should. And we turn to other things, but we ask that you would give us life according to your word that as we read it, uh, Lord, that you would revive our souls. 
Uh, God, I pray that you would bring life and you would bring a great desire, a want in our hearts to see the treasure that is in your word. Uh, Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.